Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Politics in the Pulpit, a lectionary-based resource designed to ask the provocative question of whether, and if so, how, politics should appear in our preaching this week. My name is Lee Liddell and I have changed my surname because I was blessed enough to get married last week. Um, I'm a minister here in the United Reformed Church in Cardiff, where I currently serve in an ecumenical setting. Each week I am joined by a guest from a different place and space on the pulpit and political landscape. And today I am so pleased to introduce the Reverend Dr. Jasmine David Arson. Jasmine is currently working as a Learning and Development Officer for the Northwest and Man region of the Methodist Church. She served as a tutor of Hebrew Bible at Southern Theological Education and Training Scheme, Sarum College, Salisbury, before she moved to Manchester. She worked for the Diocese of Manchester as a World Mission Officer and has been ordained by the Diocese of Manchester. Jasmine has completed her PhD at the University of Manchester on examining the book of Job from a Dalit woman's perspective. Jasmine's academic interests focus on the Hebrew Bible, Dalit feminist liberation hermeneutics and the post-colonial hermeneutics. So Jasmine, thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Lee. And it's a privilege to be part of this uh, talk. And congratulations. Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Um, so, Jasmine, politics in the pulpit. What does that mean for you? And do you see yourself as a pulpit politician? Um, that's a good question, uh, because knowingly or unknowingly or consciously or unconsciously, um, so the Politics is part of my preaching, maybe because of the place where I come from, uh, the caste system, uh, which discriminates a group of people in the name of caste, and that itself is political. And the way that I, my background influences the way I preach, um, prepare a sermon. So I can't separate myself um, touching any of the political issues um, if, when I'm in the pulpit. Um, at least for two reasons, because of my background is one of the reasons. And the second is the biblical texts are written um, when the people are living under different um, political power. Yeah. So their faith is always connected with the political context of their time. Yeah. And we have quite a lot of political language that is used even in the time of Jesus like a rule and when we pray we pray as a, Jesus as a Lord and kingdom of God examples and all those things reflect the political uh, the language used in that context we use that language in order to give a radical or counter argument to the political context of Jesus's time or in the biblical times uh, so when we preach from those texts and we can't separate faith and politics as a separate one so we have to bring that, that aspect into our preaching. So if we are preaching kingdom of God and you, you can't just miss out what is relevant for you know, today's system, how it works and how what is relevant for that. Uh, 
Yeah. So I can't see anything, you know, as a separate one, but it is part of my. Yeah, yeah. We heard a bit in your introduction about um, your PhD and your context. So what from your context, whether that be now or further back, would you want us to hear as uh, key justice issues or political events? I know you mentioned the caste system and, and, and the kind of growing up and the difficulties that or what that meant for you in reality. Um, so, having come from uh, the previous colonial nation um, in a colonized country, India, so the colonial impact is always there in my uh, background, in my context. Yeah. Um, and moving to this country as a migrant, um, so I always felt in my day-to-day life that I encounter um, the, my foreignness. So I'm not a white and I'm English is not my first language. Um, so I'm not a male. So all those identities as a woman, so as an Asian woman, I carry so many different identities within me. Yes. Uh, so in terms of how I relate to um, the church context or the everyday context, that my color and my identity, my language, my yeah. caste, all those things, um, you know, I carry with me. And whether when I read the biblical text, always that has an influence the way we, you know, I read the biblical text, but also how I relate and respond to the current situation. All my personal context reflects the way I react to the current issues. Yeah, yeah. I I remember when um, I was studying for my degree and and that was one of the real kind of eye-opening things for me was how often we don't bring all this to how we read the Bible, that we we leave all that out. But when you bring in your experiences and the many lenses of which we read the Bible f- through our experiences and who we are, and so the women is a lens, and um, you know you can't, your economic status, whether and all of these things just really open up the text in a a really honest way of being able to encounter God Um, but equally it's it's a difficult thing to do when preaching because you don't want to bring all your lenses into the pulpit because then we're merely just preaching um, through those but equally we can't ignore them Um, and, and I think you highlight that really, really crucial point of bringing ourselves into this. Um, so I'm a person, one who always like to kind of have a connection with as a student of a Hebrew Bible. And uh, I always wanted to make sure that the biblical text is connected well with the context where we live in. Yeah. So the context is very much important, but the traditional approaches might say that the biblical context is much important than uh, to understand the biblical text better. But of course, it is important to understand the background so that we can uh, be truthful to the text that is in front of us. But more important, how you connect with today's context, because we are, um, of course, distanced by more than 2000 years um, the gap yeah. between biblical text uh, context and our context, 
but the smooth transition, but our context does influence the way we read the text, whether uh, the liberation theologians or anyone who reads the Bible, who, nobody reads Bible, um, you know, um, unbiased. No. Um, so we are biased in one or other sense, whether knowingly or unknowingly. So that means we have to be very careful what context and what things that we bring in when we make the text relevant to our context. Yeah, absolutely. It's having that awareness. And um, my colleagues at JPIT have uh, suggested some things that we might want to keep an eye on as we look at the readings for this week. So some of the key issues. Uh, it's, of course, Remembrance Sunday, uh, this coming Sunday. And so that will obviously heavily influence um, our services and our, how we approach the lectionary readings. Next week is Interfaith Week and also Living Wage Week. And also we have some huge headlines going across the world as well. We have the COP27 Climate Conference, which started on Sunday. So lots of push for loss and damage funds to the nations that have been mostly affected by the climate crisis. We, of course, have the American midterm elections happening this week. And also, unsurprisingly, but still uh, with heartache, the recession that is likely coming. And we will hear Jeremy Hunt's delayed autumn statement on the 17th. And so it is with all of this, our metaphorical newspapers, let's open our Bibles. So I wonder, Jasmine, if there is a particular passage or theme or question that jumped out for you uh, this week from our readings that you'd like to start with. Actually, um, you have covered so many, um, uh, you know, points of what we are going through in today's context. And there's so many incidents and so many um, events coming up. And so many of them are focused. But immediate, my connection is with the book of Isaiah, chapter 65, the Old Testament passage, yeah. um, where we have a kind of uh, um, Isaiah's vision of a peaceful kingdom. Yeah. And that could be the focus for all of those events that you are mentioned about in either taking it as a Remembrance Sunday or uh, um, ecological crisis or interfaith matters, in, in, in anything that you take, what we are aiming for is to have a peaceful kingdom. Hmm. The vision that Isaiah portrays, so that's a kind of a good passage to focus on. Uh, maybe it's not only connecting very well with the context where we live in, but also maybe personally, I am very much inclined to take a Hebrew Bible as a you know, preaching point, because most of the time preachers take uh, gospel writings or yeah. New Testament as the main focus of preaching. But I tend to bring all the Hebrew Bible as a, um, one of the preaching texts um, whenever I do preach. And there's more relevant uh, at this point uh, in this conversation to take Isaiah 65. Mm. Um, so uh, because it connects with so the, um, it, the new heaven, new year, so one of the things we start when we talk about New Heaven, New Year, there's something. And the heaven is somewhere else that we meet after our death. Um, mm -hmm. New Heaven is something, you know, New Heaven, New Year is to be uh, waited for until you are dead. But what Isaiah is talking here is about realizing that New Heaven, New Year in the world where we live in. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. And what needs to be done in order to realize that new avenue year, the peaceful yeah. kingdom in this year. So I think when we go deeper into, then we may discover more on what type of participation we need to take in order to um, realize the peaceful kingdom that Isaiah is visioning. Yeah, yeah. And, and I wonder, you know, for I am about to create new heavens and new earth, that immediately kind of brings us back to, uh, you know, the story of the flood and, you know, God leveling earth and starting again. But it's not that, is it, in, in this passage? It's not this um, kind of genesis again of a new heaven and a new earth. It's It's something different, isn't it? Yes, um, it is something different. What, what we are seeing here is, it's in the context of uh, humiliation of Jews during the time of Persian period, taking third part of Isaiah as a post-exilic kind of text. Yeah, so thinking yeah. about uh, Persian context, where the people, even though, so we may have a picture of Persian King Cyrus being a liberator, and letting all the people to go back to their own land. But the other side of it, every colonizers have their own strategy to colonize, yeah. colonize you know, the nations. Yeah. So the Babylonians took the people outside of their land um, as a captives, and that is their strategy. But for Persians, it is for them to uh, give, you know, their own land back, but controlling them where they are. So the yeah. land, including the land being colonized, Mm. So that's where the ecological connection comes. So the new heaven, new earth, it's not only talking about rebuilding relationship between human beings, but no. it talks about relationship between nature as well, animal kingdom as well. Yeah. So if you read, um, uh, I mean, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra and Nehemiah, when they return, so one of the points that he, they are making is, so we are slaves, not only we are slaves, but also our animals been controlled by the person, you know, the dominant group. Yeah. So they were controlled, including the animal kingdom, um, right. being oppressed in that context, if you read uh, Nehemiah there. So it's a context where they feel humiliated, oppressed, and they wanted to have a, some kind of, you know, freedom out of those uh, oppression. So what the peaceful kingdom brings is no more pain, no more suffering. So it's not about uh, totally altogether different no. uh, way of another kingdom to dominate. Yeah, It's not the worldly kingdom that the Persia, another kingdom to dominate Persians, but it's yeah. rather upside down kingdom. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it's, it's really fascinating. <laughs> The talk of the animals at the end, you know, the the lion shall eat straw like the ox. It, it's not saying the lion isn't going to be a predator, but what it is saying is that there is opportunity to live peacefully <laughs> alongside each other and sharing, and that that for me kind of lights up the whole the whole of this vision, which is based on kind of lots and lots of contrasts, isn't it? As we go through the text, you know, um, no more shall it be that an infant lives but a few days, but even a hundred years will be young to die. Um, and, and this whole kind of set of contrasts that in that space must have brought, I guess, enormous hope, but also 
when something <coughs> is so unequal, something is so uneven as what their life was like post-exile and through the exile, to then this vision of, you know, utopia almost, that hope then becomes a challenge, doesn't it? It's, it's a real leap of faith to go from that to, to the contrast that um, is being spoken about here. Yeah, so um, most of the time people do connect this one with the, the creation, um, going back yeah. to the ori original creative order where um, everything had a kind of, you know, harmony between each other, okay. God and human being, and a human being with animals. So it's, uh, you know, envisioning the same kind of creative order back and right. where God is in the midst of people. And there is no barrier even between God and human being, no barrier between human being and animals. And that kind of a vision, uh, so that is, it's a harmony among peaceful harmony, uh, no exploitation, no pain, uh, there is nothing stops each other to come together. No. So that kind of picture. So one way we could connect with that. The other aspect is so then immediately we think that we don't have a responsibility, it's God is in control. And, um, you know, uh, to bring back. But I think what Isaiah is trying to say, we need to bring that original uh, creation back. But we have a responsibility. Yeah. So Isaiah in other passages like uh, chapter, uh, chapter 40, where it says every valley shall be lifted up and yeah. every mountain shall make low. So that means there are lows and highs in the, uh, in the hierarchical system that whoever is on high needs to bring, you know, brought low. So that means uh, there are people needs to work hard to uh, come yeah. down from their level, whereas the people, those who are already in the low, had to be lifted up in some way. So that needs to be some work needs to be done, done in which each one have a responsibility towards bring that harmony. Yeah. Yeah, whether in the marginalized, uh, you know, uh, side or the oppressor side, each one has a responsibility. So it yeah. is a call for everyone so that it can be a, uh, you know, more peaceful. Because most of the time when we talk about uh, either liberation theology or uh, um, any anything on justice, we always focus on the oppressed kind of side. So of course I will speak for them. I will be with them, and I can speak. God is on their side. But when we talk about the harmony and when we talk about peaceful existence, coexistence with everyone, then everyone has a responsibility towards bringing that peace. Yeah. And that's what Isaiah is talking here. Which is incredibly powerful when we put the lens of Remembrance Sunday um, through this passage. Yeah. Of, and, and I think that's really important that we don't just kind of chop the past off and this is new uh which it, you could do in this past you know this is new this is old but actually it's about how we all uh come together we all have that responsibility and those scales of kind of justice um and within us and it's balancing our own kind of scales of right and wrong to bring our our harmony to it and and the the responsibility and and the difference of the journey of harmony for each individual it would be 
but then what that creates one hopes is is a world where war isn't possible and and that is um a really beautiful thought when we are sat where we are with the war in Ukraine looking at Remembrance Sunday this week it's a really powerful image isn't it yes I think thinking about Remembrance Sunday uh, coming from um, you know originally coming from Indian context though yeah. lived in this country for last 23 years but still I have a kind of you know different opinion and uh, you know views on yeah. how we uh, remember uh, Remembrance Sunday uh, in that sense so for me is at least you know uh, um by remembering all those who gave their life so of course we are uh, supporting the families whose you know dear ones lost their um, lives in the war uh, in order to save so many um, you know the future of the you know next generation while we remember that there is other things to be considered as well because uh, so when we remember just to say that it should not happen again so in current context we are still experiencing war in different nations and ukraine is a good example what are we by remembering this what are we doing yeah our action in response to ukraine war because mm. uh, so it's good that we remember and we support the families um, and we pay that uh, you know uh, tribute to the, all those who have lost their life but mm-hmm. by doing that we need to make sure that it does not happen again yeah. um, but by responding to the current situation where the war is still uh, you know um, alive and the people are uh, you know affected by uh, war and discrimination but the other thing is uh, because the war when we think about war it's more about thinking about um, either justice or peace so when we talk about peace peaceful kingdom hmm. and we should make sure that there there should be um in a no more war and we should be aiming for just society so this is this all linked together it's not just having one sunday every year to remember all those who have died yeah but it should be our action plan that we should work towards justice and yeah. we should make sure that there should not be any you know war in the world around not necessarily in our country where immediate you know context because um, whatever we do in one part of the country does affect another part of the country yeah. uh, directly or indirectly so which we don't realize sometimes we withdraw ourselves from some of the things that's happening around the world um, mm-hmm. so i think we need to make sure that it is justice justice related issue and if we are working towards peaceful kingdom all these things matter yeah yeah and and to remember that often war is the result of some as of that injustice and it's how we deal with that before it escalates and, and i think um if i may bring in the luke passage um when i kind of read the luke passage it really made my heart sore because it, it is this sense of almost feeling like a bit where we're at now this sense of building back better you know all these political slogans of being better than it was before and that's where exactly where we're at in the luke passage 
is here is this temple, um, the, the temple that was built after exile that wasn't very good has now been, you know, raised to the ground because Herod's temple is going to be the best temple, the biggest temple, the most adorned with jewels temple, and therefore the centre of their world is something that is built almost out, well, it is built out of ego and 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 how easy it is to sit and admire that as the disciples were and, and Jesus' lesson of no, it, that's the kind of, that's just the pretty picture. It's not the thing. Yeah, um, you are right in saying that, you know, uh, the temple, the originally built, uh, being extended by uh, Herod um, to make it kind of even twice because the, in the original temple Solomon built. And so the disciples were just admiring of the beauty of the gloriousness of the temple. But immediately we can see the reaction of Jesus saying that, uh, don't worry about that, it's going to kind of, you know, um, yeah. go away. Uh, but that's, um, I think one way we see that from the point of view of disciples and the people lived in Jesus's context would see as a, something what they consider as an important place to worship God is going to be um, you know, destroyed. Um, so it's uh, uh, that, that side of uh, looking at temple is different from um, what I would see in the light of Isaiah's passage. Um, so if we are yeah, yeah, yeah. the whole community, the whole world to be together, it's Jerusalem temple is the only, you know, because what I see Jerusalem temple is holding power and authority because it was under the control of Roman yeah. time. And the way Herod started to rebuild, I mean, extend the temple is to make to, to show his power and his authority over the temple. And the way Jerusalem temple was constructed is uh, uh, the layer after layer where the people are, you know, uh, put in different categories. So not everyone can enter into main place. So yeah. it's more, you know, restricted in that sense. If well, it's immediately you can connect this one with the conversation Jesus having with the Samaritan woman. Yeah. Where immediately, you know, Samaritan woman says, um, oh, yes, um, our people, our ancestors worship in this mountain. But you, you, Jewish people always say that uh, you can worship only in Jerusalem. Yeah. Then Jesus immediately reacts saying that, you know, there will be a time when either this mountain or that mountain will exist, but uh, people will worship in truth mm -hmm. and in a spirit and truth. Uh, so it, the, the point Jesus is trying to make here, if I'm not, you know, in, from my perspective, is, yeah. you know, uh, having the destruction is not a main issue for Jesus. It's more about uh, disciples to understand it, the worship space is everywhere. It's not in, you know, yeah. God is not limited to one particular building. Yeah. And the people should be able to worship wherever they are. Mm. Uh, so it's uh, broad enough for the destruction of the temple. It might be, an, uh, you know, um, mm. a bad aspect. For, I mean, bad news for people, Jewish people at that time and even now. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, but thinking about those, you know, being a, uh, a woman outside of that category, outside yes, of yes. the Jewish community. If when I feel part of the Jewish, uh, you know, Jesus's 
in the peaceful kingdom i if i wanted to be part of and i don't want to restrict god in one particular place no no and the, and the more about it's not only the place that jesus is worried about but how the uh, temple was controlled the power yeah. is shown and uh, you know uh, this discrimination was so when he got angry on uh, you know temple in john chapter 2 mm. where he overthrows all the because of the exploitation that was happening in the uh, yeah. in the temple court so uh, all those things will see that you know it's against that jesus is talking about the destruction of the temple so all the district uh, all the uh, discrimination that's happening in the name of the temple all the dominion power that's happening in the name of the temple all been destroyed so that yeah. means it's not the worship space that jesus is talking about but what is happening in the temple will be yeah. destroyed because uh, so that everyone will, will have a uh freedom to worship without yeah. any discrimination without you know um peace will be established when you worship yeah. the lord yeah yeah and and there's some really you're absolutely right but there's some really terrifying echoes isn't there in in this you know when you hear of wars and insurrections we probably wouldn't have necessarily used insurrection in our language until january the 6th and 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 we see these things and um you know you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers by relatives and friends and and you look at the divisions of of things like rwanda where where you know that sense of someone going against somebody was was something that really kind of came out of of the war and 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 thinking how easily that's done but then again you look at america now and how divisive the kind of maga community is and, and and the fighting against that and the kind of um the sense that donald trump is this messiah that speaks the real language of people is really terrifying that we're actually this is here this is this is humans and it's laid bare in in this passage in luke yeah i think it is terrifying by reading that you know these things will happen you know um uh, and when you encounter those things some of the things are happening around us and we feel that you know what's going on and i i think for me uh, what jesus is trying to say here is more about so these things may happen but yeah. don't be afraid yeah um I, i think the assurance of hope that i see you know god's presence even in the midst of those all those things yeah it's a message i get out of this passage rather than you know because already we are in so you know, sometimes when we read carefully the text and we worry too much about that particular yeah. verse without realizing there are even worse things happening in our context where we live in yeah absolutely yeah um so if we are part of that oppressed community then the reaction will be different yeah. but if you are in the dominant there is a kind of something needs to be learned from and challenged by uh, yeah. reading this passage yeah. but maybe uh, you know coming from my own context and what i see is um you know something okay god i i am going through all these things but uh, i don't have to be worried but not to be quiet 
but realizing that the God is with us in that kind of situation. Uh, yeah. That's a kind of typical liberation theologian's point of view. Yeah, yeah. God is in the midst of struggle. Uh, yeah. Those who are suffering, you know, that kind of uh, feel. But the only worry for me is some of these passages are taken as uh, something, um, it's uh, eschatological kind of events yeah. that's going to happen, you know, and we don't have to worry about it because sometimes we see our faith as a private and, uh, and a personal one, uh, nothing to do with, uh, you know, the public life. But I think when we connect all these things um, in our day-to-day -day life and how we react and what's our responsibility, it's important to realize it's uh, not something eschatological that Jesus is talking about. Uh -huh. it, it happened immediately after. So it, it's a real-life situation that it's, Jesus it's, uh, is tackling. Yeah. And we need to be careful about that, how we connect. And, and suddenly we circle right back to the uh, end of Isaiah where... It is each our responsibility to yeah. find our even ground um, and, and the world in which that would create if we could uh, manage to do that as a human race. Yeah. Uh, Jasmine, thank you so much for coming on and, and sharing your wisdom and reflections today. Thank you to the rest of you for joining us to ask whether or how we should preach politics in the pulpit this week. If you have enjoyed this episode of Politics in the Pulpit, please leave a review wherever you listen to your podcast. We love having an ongoing conversation with our listeners about faith and politics. So do join in on Twitter at pulpit underscore politics or using the hashtag politics in the pulpit or you can join us on our Facebook community, which you can access through the Joint Public Issues Team Facebook page and on their website, jointpublicissues.org.uk. So the question, the thought, the thing that we leave you with for this week, where are you on your path to evenness? Are you up, in the, are you up on the mountain? Are you down in the valley? where each is our own responsibility as human beings. Let us know your thoughts about that on Twitter or on Facebook. And so let's go into both our politics and our pulpits with this blessing. May you be anointed with God's spirit as you bring good news to the poor, proclaim release to the captives, help people to see the world truthfully, and let the oppressed go free. Amen.